0: Welcome, and you're listening to another episode of Imagine Publicity on Air. I'm your host, Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com, which is a little boutique social media management company, and I have several clients that do several different things. And one of the things that I've always been fascinated with is authors and books and how how books came about, I guess, is what – one of the things that interests me. And today we're talking um, with another author of Survivors, Forgotten Victims of Murder and Suspicious Death. This book came about through many different channels, Um Dennis Griffin, who is has coordinated all of these authors, there's 23 total authors in this anthology that's published by Alley Blue Media, which also is affiliated with the Grief Diaries series, which a lot of people are very familiar with. So Denny started a Facebook group, the Transparency Project. What he was finding in doing hundreds of true crime podcasts over the years. A lot of the interviews that he did were people who just were not getting justice for one reason or another. And he being former law enforcement really had a hard time with a lot of this. So what he did, he started the transparency project and many, many people came to the page with their stories and with what they have been doing and what obstacles they've been running up against. And it was, you know, amazingly heartbreaking. And he asked himself, you know, what can I do about this other beyond, you know, doing the interviews? So that's when he came up with the idea of Survivors, the book. So it gave everyone the opportunity to write their chapter about their particular loved one or their particular case, what was going on with it. And it ended up being like exposing some of the shortcomings in in our justice system and what can we do about it. And there have been several people who have Actively been doing something about it, whether it's legislatively, uh, whether it's working closer with law enforcement and training. But it's all about let's level the playing field here. Let's let's see what we can do to raise awareness of these cases and and help these families get true justice. I'm talking today to the mother of Morgan Ingram, um, Tony. Tony Ingram, Tony is her name, and Tony, welcome to the podcast. And could you briefly give us listeners a little bit of background about your daughter, Morgan? What were her hopes and dreams and aspirations?
1: Oh, thanks for having me on, Delilah. Um, Morgan um, was nineteen years old. This was in um, two thousand and eleven. She was our youngest daughter out of three children. The other two were grown up and out of the home at that time. She was a college student. She was an amazing, amazing child. Um, She was very sensitive. She was artistic. She was a photographer. She was a dancer, ballet dancer. Um, She was actually just had just finished, even though she was only 19, her first two years of college. And she had transferred her, her credits to the University of Boulder where she wanted to finish her last two years, get her bachelor's degree, and then take the LSAT test in order to try to get into law school. She wanted to actually be a woman's um, advocate for, um, you know, women that couldn't afford uh, legal thing, uh, l- legal um, representation, and she wanted to fight for women and children, and that was her goal in life. It was amazing that she ended up um, being murdered by somebody um, that was actually a stalker that
0: stalked well, her. Describe, let's go into that. Describe the stalking. How long did this go on, and what, what kind of things were people doing?
1: Well, August 2nd, 2011, um, Morgan was 19 years old, like I said, and she was still living at home. It was the summer. She had just come back from um, visiting uh, in Hawaii her, her godparents, and um she as soon as we came back home she had just picked up a puppy her first puppy on the way home and went was going into town to visit friends and when she came home that night that's when the stocking started that's when we thought the stocking started later on after much research we realized that the stocking had started before that but a lot of times you don't know that you're being stalked. Um, but that's when she we realized she, um, there was somebody watching her and trying to get her attention um, the stocking went on for four months um, but seven weeks after it started and after numerous calls to the sheriff's department It finally became an active felony stalking investigation investigation case. Um, We reported incidences of of stalking over 70 times in those four short months. We had photographic, video, and eyewitness proof of the stalker. I kept a detailed timeline of all the incidents, which thank God I did, because that really helped with the case. Um, And the main suspect was named over and over again, the police reports, emails, and text messages. Um, they were starting to get close to making an arrest, uh, and uh, I guess it was two days um, before her felony stalking, um, be- before, two days before her murder, um, a felony, felony stalking detective warned us that he thought that the stalking was going to escalate. Now, what I'd love people to understand is when you're a victim of stalking like we were, because my husband and I were also considered um, victims in this case, there's a lot of things that you kind of do. You become hyper vigilant, exhausted. You're always on guard. You're frustrated, embarrassed, confused. You're anxious. You're unable to trust people around you any longer, and you're, and you're always suspicious, right? But the thing, the thing is, you, you keep hoping it's going to end. You, you think it's over. You just try to convince yourself it's it's over. So after that, at the end of that four months, um, you know, we were thinking, okay, it's going to it's he's about to make an arrest. They just told us they're going to make an arrest four days after I found her body was when she was scheduled to go in for her on camera interview um, so that they can make that arrest. You know, they wanted to get her on camera saying who he was and, you know, all that stuff just to wrap it up with a nice bow. But um, four days before she was able to do, was supposed to do that. She was, I found her dead body in bed. Hmm.
0: Tell, tell me a little bit about her circle of friends. Did she have a lot of friends? Were there uh, people that she was very close to or or people that she had a problem with?
1: She um, had a lot of friends. She had a lot of friends. But uh, like I said, she was really uh, concentrated mo- mostly. She was still going to college at the time. So when it started in August, she wasn't going. But then a month later, school had started, so she started going Five days a week to school, and then she was doing other things on the side. But most of the time, she tried to fit in her friends. So after school, she would go over and visit for a couple hours, and then come home. Um, her her ex boyfriend, who you know was her soulmate, and they had been together for years, was no longer living in state. He was living in Savannah, Georgia, um, going to school. Um, some of her best friends were away at college, and um, she was still hanging out with some other new friends in. in the city close to us which is about a 10 minute drive from our house Um, but those friends we found out later were connected to one of the suspects in the stalking case who lived only three houses down from us that was not friends with Morgan. Morgan was actually afraid of this person Um, didn't have anything to do with this person but this person was very jealous of her it was another girl um, and she was very jealous of Morgan, and she had a lot, a lot of issues with drugs and all kinds of things, and um, I found out late, much later on that the male that was stalking Morgan um, had moved in with this girl that was three houses down from us just um, a week before the stalking started, and once the sheriff were on to him and came to the house and started trying to interview him— um, they never could get hold of him, and he moved out of the house and disappeared. But the stalking continued.
0: Did she have any confrontations with these people, the the girl and, and her, the guy?
1: Well, no, she didn't. She avoided them at all costs. Um, she was afraid of the girl. Um, but we did find out, too, that um, that it was very possible that this girl had – keyed her car months before the stocking started the girl Morgan at the time was going out with another guy. Um, She had broken up with her soulmate and she was dating another boyfriend who she was really close with. He had been a good friend before they started dating. This girl was in love with that guy and the guy didn't want anything to do with the other girl, but he was dating Morgan. And then Morgan had broken up with him in February and just a couple of days after she broke up with him, her car was keyed um, down to the metal with such anger and force that the police, when they took the police report, they said, some, this person was either on drugs or, or they're very, very angry and your daughter could be in danger. But we had no clue who it was at the time. So that's why I say that the stalking actually did start months before we knew it had started.
0: Well, was it a was it a bad breakup she had with this guy, or did they part ways oh, no, as friends? Oh no, she
1: just no, they were still very close friends, very close friends, and and he mo- he um, went to a different country for a while for a few months, and and they skyped constantly, and they were still very close. He wanted to get back together with her when he came back to the states, but um, she just wanted to keep him as a friend at that point. And this girl, I believe, was angry about the whole thing and jealous that, you know, this guy still wanted Morgan and Morgan didn't want him as a boyfriend. She only wanted him as a friend. And there was a lot of jealousy there. I'd been, I didn't even know about this until after Morgan's murder and the friends and people started coming to me and telling me what had been going on and how this girl had been going to parties and saying how speaking about Morgan and saying this B-I-T-C-H is really going to get it one of these days. You know, she was threatening her. I had no idea at the time. I see.
0: Well, and then on December 2nd, 2011, you were the one who found her body in her bed. Um, The thing in the, and people really, you should get the book and read this chapter. The thing that I was questioning is how was it ruled natural causes with the condition of her body and the condition of her room? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a really, that's what we wondered too. Well, to be honest, um, we were in shock because, I mean, I had no idea. If, if I had thought that the stalker um, was going to be able to get into our house, I would have I hogtied her and got her out of there so fast, you know, if I thought that that could have happened and I didn't think it could happen. But just like in so many other cases that I've been, in, you know, entrusted with to look it, into, um, that night was a perfect storm for us. We had cameras, video, nighttime cameras around our house, but they didn't cover the entire house. They only—they were—they were set up to cap, capture a good photo of the of the stalker as he came up to our house to bang on windows and doors. Um, that's what the sheriffs wanted us to do because they wanted to have this proof. And we do have pictures, and we did have things, but it was never good enough for them. Um, so we did have those cameras, but like I said, they did not cover the entire house. So it's very easy to still get up to our doors or windows if you would come across, you know, up against the house and not straight up the driveway or straight up, you know, straight towards the door. Um, so that was unfortunate. We had, um, I guess you could call them um, motion detectors, battery operated motion detectors outside of the house in certain areas and we kept moving them around. So we would be alerted to look at the camera on that side of the house to see, you know, who it was. Um, that, we were so exhausted at that point after four months. We had not been sleeping. We were going crazy. Um, we, were just, it, we were just beside ourselves. And the, since two days before, the sheriff's detective had come and said he believed that it was going to escalate and was putting more, um, I guess, uh, patrol cars on our house that night. You know, uh, and in the, in the patrol cars were big. So they would set off those motion detectors. So my husband turned off the motion detectors. So that was part of the perfect storm that night. He turned off the um, the the detectors. Our big dog, who wasn't a watchdog, but she was a big, beautiful sweetheart um, we, usually we let her roam the house loose so that she could alert us if anything you know anybody got in the house. Um, we wanted to sleep that night, so my husband wouldn't let her be loose so he he locked her up in our room and our room was on the back side of the house morgan's room was on the front side of the house and it was over three thousand square feet this house so we were quite a ways away from her room so we couldn't hear anything and the dog couldn't alert us so that was another part of it um there just everything went wrong that night we were so exhausted my husband wanted to take a sleeping pill and he insisted that i take one so that we could get one night full sleep and we thought since they put more patrols on the house it would be fine That was a huge mistake, too. We were both sleeping in a dead sleep and on sleeping pills that night. Um, Just it went on and on and on. It was just everything went wrong that night.
0: Well, yeah, it certainly did. But um, there was no explanation for the ruling of of a natural. Well, I mean, it's obvious with your description of everything. It's obvious that it was not natural causes.
1: Oh, it is, and now recently we've received more photographs, and it just makes you sick, you know, when you see what they saw that morning, um, how could they have done this? But they took us in, they made us leave the house right away, put crime scene tape up around the house, told us it was a suspicious death, then they interviewed us individually, along with her friends who showed up at the house next door, Um, and, you know, we were in shock. We were in shock. We were victims of stalking. We did not, from, from the bottom of my heart, I'm going to tell you right now, we did not want to believe somebody could have gotten in our house while we were there sleeping and attacked our daughter and killed her because that would mean, like, as a parent, you don't want to believe that. You just don't want to believe that you weren't there for her. You know, you couldn't have protected her. You, you were on sleeping pills, you know. So we didn't want to believe that. So, of course, we're in the interview, and I'm saying, and I'm upset, and I'm saying, what happened to the detective? Is it the stalker? He said, well, we don't see any signs of breaking in energy. There's no broken doorknobs. There's no broken windows. That means nothing. I know now. But um, this is what he was saying to me. And he said, so I don't believe it was the stalker. Um, I don't believe that at all. And I said, well, what was it? Did she, was she so exhausted and so scared that she had a heart attack? Or did she commit suicide? What happened? Could she not take the stress any longer? Because that happens with, with um, stalking victims too. You become depressed. Your life is turned upside down. You don't know where to turn. I mean, you know, it was, it's hard. It was really hard. So I was saying all this to him. So was Steve. We were saying, you know, she's been very upset lately. Could it have been suicide? So I believe that they jumped to a conclusion that possibly it was suicide. Then they went ahead and took her body away for autopsy. Every fiber in my body was saying I had to go with them. I had to stay with her for the autopsy, but no one would let me go. They said, you're not getting in the car and you're not following them. Let them do what they have to do. So they took her away for an autopsy to the um, hired um, pathologist. It wasn't the coroner. It was not a pathologist. And um, I, now we believe, after we've looked at timelines and photographs and, and paperwork and everything else, that there was no autopsy. They did a visual autopsy of her. They did not do a rape kit. They did not do scrapings under her nails. They did nothing. They only did her, they tested her blood and that was it. Um, and he came back and asked us four days later if there's any medical conditions our daughter could have had that could have caused this, because he didn't see anything on the autopsy. And we believed there was an autopsy at that point. So my husband wrote something. He said, well, these are the conditions she's had over her lifetime. And then we were concerned that she might have had this other condition, but it was, but we were never, she she was never diagnosed with it. We had her tested and it came back negative and non-conclusive. And so she was never tested for, I mean, she was never diagnosed with it. She was never treated for it. So obviously she didn't have it, but he glommed onto that. And he, 18 days later, we get this report back saying that she died of natural causes of this genetic thing that we had had her tested for um so i called him immediately i said how could that be she doesn't even have that and he said well why are you flip-flopping your husband said she had it And i said i just read his back to you he didn't say she had it he said we were looking into it at one point point." and um he said well it's a disease of ex- exclusion and so since i couldn't find anything wrong with her um this is what i'm writing down that she died of natural causes
0: Okay. Well, let me ask you this: Why did you feel compelled to write this chapter for for the book Survivors? Uh,
1: well, I did get I did get onto the Facebook program or a page that you were talking about that Denny did, which is the Transparency Project. I started reading about all these other families and. Um, I was just intrigued because I, at, over the years, I've not only become a stalking um, advocate, uh, victim advocate, but I've also started working as the executive direct, um, sorry, the West Coast director for FOVAMP, which is Families of Homicide Victims and Missing Persons. And in that capacity, I work with many families with cases similar to Morgan's, where it was the wrong um, manner of death. And because of that, there was no investigation. Because if you have a, if, if a, Corner states that it was an accident or it was natural causes or it was suicide, the sheriffs do not investigate. There's no investigation. So there's nothing going on in your case. It's a closed case. So um, when I started looking at the Facebook page and all these other families, and then I heard that Danny was going to be doing this book, Survivors. and asked if anybody wanted to write a chapter. I definitely wanted to be a part of that, and it meant a lot to me, um, and I was very grateful for that opportunity to be one of those 23 people that, that contributed to the book.
0: And it's it's just a fantastic book. I can't say enough about it as far as, you know, for the general public or anyone out there who is going through a similar situation that, that. Tony has described with her daughter's case it, you're looking for justice but you know what is the journey to get there that is just it's horrendous for a lot Very of families painful. out there and all, they deserve all the support and information that they can get how do you feel Tony that this book is going to help others
1: oh definitely is going to help others because it's going to raise awareness. Um, And it's raising awareness of the shortcomings of our justice system in the hopes that somewhere down the line, another family will be helped and more, a more more just system will be created. You can't get there without the awareness. Um, There needs to be awareness. People need to really want to jump on the bandwagon and help these families Um, You know, a lot of people sit there. I think I discussed this with you once, Delilah, the CSI effect. People watch television and they think, oh, my gosh, well, how could they have gotten these these cases wrong? Because, of course, they're going to come in, they're going to take DNA samples, they're going to take evidence. That's not what happens. Um, It just doesn't happen. It happens sometimes if you're lucky, but in most cases, it does not happen. Uh, If there's a gun there, and there's blood, and, and, um, and there's somebody that confesses, yes, they, they usually get it. But, like, the Washington Post did a research on <clears throat> and reported cases of homicides. Like many of these stories in the book, so many suspicious deaths are real homicides, but they go unreported because they are misreported. And the Washington Post stated, out of 54,868 homicides in 55 cities over the past decade, did not result in an arrest. In my opinion, in this day and age, this is not acceptable. This is what I have heard said, murder with impunity. So that's why I think this book is extremely important.
0: Oh, I have to totally agree with you, Tony. It's, you know, it's, We call it the justice system, but is it really? And then, you know, a lot of times there will be an arrest, there will be a trial, there will be a conviction, but it's not over. It's not over for the families who have to continue to go to parole hearings or, you know, other, other things that they have to do to make sure that that particular person mm-hmm. stays in prison if they can get that exactly. far. And I think that's I have the thing that
1: families. I also have two families. I'm sorry, Delilah, to cut you off, but I also have no. two families. Um, they're, they're the perpetrator that killed their daughters. Their young daughters are in jail, but they cannot find their daughter's bodies because the perpetrator, the criminal, the murderer will not give up where the bodies are. And, If you saw these parents and the pain that they go through Mm -hmm. on a daily basis because they cannot find their child's body, it does not end just because they're in jail. It does not end for a lot of people, so many families.
0: And that is so common. I volunteer for a missing persons organization out of Wilmington, North Carolina, and we see this a lot. You know, they're they're just recently uh, the – I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a national it's made national news the Heather Elvis case and recently oh, right. two people mm-hmm. were put behind bars for thirty years on a kidnapping charge. No one has they they charged them with murder but it didn't it that didn't work out so they charged them with kidnapping and were able to make the arrest and conviction on that, but it's not over for that family and it's and I over. you know work with that family, and you're right it's people don't understand unless it happens to you or someone close to you or you are involved in some way you really can't feel what these people are going through and not knowing where their loved one is so i I That's totally true. agree with book. with what you've said.
1: And the problem with that is there's murderers still out on the street or Correct. they're going to get out in 30 years and they're going to do it again. I'm, I mean, the rate of, you know, reoffending is really high. It really is. If you look at the data on that, families deserve answers and everyone deserves justice. And it's been said that awareness is most certainly the greatest agent for change. And that's what I think this book is, is doing. It's, it, it, it will be accomplishing change. Maybe one at a time, maybe slowly, or maybe a lot, but we need to change the playing field for victims as well as co-victims, and those are the families and friends, also, that are left behind after a horrific murder. Right now, the field favors the perpetrator and not the victim, as sad and unbelievable as that sounds, but it's true.
0: Yeah, I again I see that every day as well and um totally agree with with your assessment there. We we need to do better and hopefully this book will get in the hands of of people who can make those changes. I I think one of the yeah. chapters has already spoken to Molly's law in Illinois. And I know Denny and other people are trying to get that law passed in other states, which is, is a very important law. And again, it came out of a father's loss of his daughter. So people like you and, and other people who have been a part of this book Um, Are actively doing things Actively looking to make changes You know you may not Get where you want to in your own case But you're Mm -hmm. trying So hard to, to Make the journey maybe A little bit easier for the next Family and I also Have to agree with the ripple effect Of a crime like this any type Of violence causes Such a ripple effect it doesn't just Affect the victim or their Family or their friends, but in yeah. most cases, it, it goes out through the whole community, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, it's we, we all have to really live is. with this. And as awful as it is, we, if we know about it, we have a responsibility to do something, do something about it. Even if it is a small part, it, it counts. Every little bit counts, every little bit I of agree. awareness. So I'm, I'm really, really happy that this book has come out. You can order it from Amazon.com, I'm, and I'm guessing you might be able to get it from the GriefDiaries.com website as well, since uh, it was published by Ally Blue, A-L-Y-B-L-U Media. And I, I thank you it's for also taking Kindle the time. Yes, it is on Kindle. It is on Kindle. But, Tony, thanks so much for taking your time to come on today and go over a heartbreaking case. And and I wish you well and hope that your justice is found. And I applaud the work that you're doing through your organization for other families. Is there one last
1: quick thing that you would like
0: Mm -hmm. for listeners to take away from this particular
1: podcast? Well, there's no statute of limitation on murder, and that always gives me hope. And I would love everyone out there that's listening to this, if they're ever in a situation or they are right now, never give up, because there's always hope, and things change. And sometimes, even though it doesn't seem like it in your heart, um, time is on your side, because after all these years, we're finding out things that we never even knew in the beginning in Morgan's case. We have so much more evidence now. And I would never have believed that in the beginning.
0: Right. And with all the advancements in technology that come about with DNA testing and, and on and on it goes, we don't, we don't know what the future holds for technology in these types of cases, and, and they can be solved. So Exactly. I'd like to just leave you with this. Um, the book Survivors is a very important book. On many, many levels, just you know, everything that we've talked about today goes into this book—the heart and the soul of these families that have suffered through this loss. Get a copy on Amazon.com and pass it on. Don't just keep it. Pass it on. Pass on the message to someone else. I hope that um, I hope that that will happen. So, as you go out into the world today, be kind to each other.